Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. I couldn't be in a better place, in a better position. I'm extremely happy for what we've been able to build. We're growing faster than a, than a newborn baby for sure. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's really a great pleasure to welcome Rich Paul to Good Company. Rich is the CEO and founder of Clutch Sports. Doesn't need too much of an introduction as uh, Clutch Sports and Rich Paul have become synonymous with leadership in sports in the agency side of the business. And the exciting part for me, of course, is when MediaLink joined forces with United Talent Agency at the end of 2021, one of the great benefits of that was the ability to call Rich Paul my partner and my friend. So Rich, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. And uh, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to get on and have this conversation. It's pretty much just a typical dinner night for us, but we'll do it at at 1045 in the morning. There you go. So Rich, your story, and you know, I had the pleasure of of hearing it directly from you, and I know our audience will will love to hear your story, but can you just kind of give us a little bit of a picture of how you got started? And, you know, it's a funny thing to say how you climb the ranks because I think you traverse them in a way that's kind of never been done. You kind of went in auto terms from zero to 60 in about uh, two seconds, putting yourself right in the center of of the action uh, in sports. But love to just talk about kind of where you got started. And as my friend Jeffrey Katzenberg once said, when he asked somebody who's a singer, when he wants to know their motivation, he says to them, who was the artist and what was the song? So I would say to you, you know, who was it and what was it that that kind of catapulted you? I think my dad was my biggest motivation. You know, my story is a story of faith. It really is. And passion, too. But my dad was probably my biggest motivation. And I think my environment was my my biggest push. You know, I, I come from a place in which we have very few outlets. We have very few options. There's zero infrastructure. The education that you are able to obtain through public resources is very, what I would say, basic, a basic education. And so, you know, as a kid, I looked around, I, I saw things at a very early age that I probably shouldn't have. I heard things that I probably shouldn't have. But also the bright side of that was the world that I live in today I know that it's not necessarily everyday life for everyone. And so it allows me to have a great balance. It allows me to actually appreciate the position that I'm in and some of the things I've been able to do along with my team over, over the course of the past 10 years. And the grind, it really allows you to appreciate the grind. Nothing was given. Everything was earned and, con- and will continue to be. And as it pertains to the, to the clients that we are able to represent, it allows you to, to have this relatability and understanding of each other as people first, not being seen as just a transaction or a fee. We've been able to build the business on the foundation of that integrity. And so I couldn't be in a 
better place and a better position. I'm extremely happy for what we've been able to build. We're growing faster than a, than a newborn baby for sure. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, Rich, it's interesting. You know, I tell people, and this might surprise you, but I tell people that my parents did me a great service and they did me a disservice. The great service was I grew up early. I grew up fast. I had two older sisters. And so whether it was social or other aspects of life, I was exposed to a lot as the youngest and the only child, the only boy. And, you know, it with, with older sisters, you tend to grow up a little faster. It just, you, you know, you're part of the equation in a different way for me. And I've always said, I don't know that I had a proper childhood. I didn't have an improper childhood, but again, I was exposed to things that were probably beyond my years. You know, when movies start started putting ratings on them, um, you know, you couldn't see a PG-13 or R or what have you. My family didn't have that filter of PG-13. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's it's really interesting, but I, I think it contributed a lot to, you know, whatever modicum amount of success I've been able to achieve. And similar to you, those things are motivators. And, you know, again, our our, our growing up experiences were, were likely, you know, different, but but similar in that way that on the one hand, it made me, it made me a better person. On the other hand, I kind of felt like some of the, some of the childhood stuff escaped me. So it's interesting that, that, you know, we hadn't had that conversation before. It can be a sword and a shield when you have that exposure too early. What, you know, the idea of too much too soon can really, you know, screw up a lot of people. In your case, it obviously acted as a, as a, projectile. And, and in my case, it did too, because I just felt like I was already there. I was already older. I already needed to be comporting myself as an older person because I felt older. That's, I mean, yeah, that aligns directly with how I grew up. It was a seesaw, so to speak, and with the good and the bad. But, yeah. but emotion, emotion, I think is necessary as well. I think uh, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything. Rich, let me go back to that question, though. What was the singer and what was the song? You know, who was the artist and what was the song? What made you realize that, that you know, sports and, you know, representation, I'm sure you didn't think about it in that context at that moment, but what was that moment? And I know you've told me a story about a jersey. Uh, I'd love you to share that story. Yeah, I think the, I think the artist, from a figurative perspective, was probably just... Um, Warren Moon as a sports figure, you know, that jersey, me, my understanding of who Warren Moon was and being a fan of his led me to purchasing his jersey. And that jersey got the attention uh, at that time, in that moment, a a young man happened to be uh, LeBron James. But, you know, I think, again, the song was, was just... It wasn't a specific song. It was just an entre- entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I had that as a kid. I had that, I don't know, I guess my dad would probably say I might have been two or three years of age. Um, and I was always very aware of my surroundings and able to understand the detail and and the different characters of people, you know, because I was able to see characters every day all day you know because my dad owned a corner store and when you're on the corner in the neighborhood there's all type of characters that come male female kids adults it don't matter 
And so, you know, one day I, I took a bus trip and it was uh, my friend's mom was throwing a bus trip and I was really at, at his house to visit him. And when she explained to me they were having this bus trip, I was being, I was really being supportive. And I said, you know, I, I'll pay for four, four people to go. Gave her the money and, and didn't think twice about it. So about three weeks later, it was in the wee hours of the morning, I get this call and it's my friend's mom. And I'm like, hello? She's like, um, you know, basically, <laughs> where are you guys at? I'm like, who is you guys? You know, what are you talking about? She's like, we're at the, at that time, it was a, it was Tops. And Tops was a grocery store chain in Ohio. It was sort of like Rouse here. And they would park the cars there for the bus to meet them and then you would go. And I was like, um, well, what are, you, what are you asking me to do? And she was like, we're waiting on you. We can't leave. We're, we're, we're waiting on you. So I was like, I, I didn't really want to go. I was paying for someone else to go. And she was like, well, we're here. And I was with a friend of mine and he was like, well, man, we might as well just go. And so we went and we're only men, the only men on this bus. And we go to New York City and we get off on Canal Street and they were going to bargain shop, which I understand, but I wasn't a bargain shopper. And so we got in the cab and we went over to Fifth Avenue and did some shopping or whatnot. And then the last stop I made was in the NBA store. Right. And I was going to get a jersey I had been wanting for a while because I, I was known to like save sneakers. So I would have sneakers for like six months and won't wear them. It's a weird thing I would do before this whole sneaker thing went crazy. But but nevertheless, I was there and I was in line. I had the jersey I wanted. And it was actually the, the Trail Spreewell Knicks. I wanted it to go with these Bo Jackson I had had for a while. And out, out the corner of my eye, I saw this little area. And it was, and I was asked the guy, I said, what is that over there? He said, that's our new Hardwood Classics. And I said, Hardwood Classics? So they had an Elgin Baylor Lakers, a Bill Russell Celtics, and they had a Oscar Robertson Bucks. I bought two of the three Celtics, I mean, um, Bucks and Lakers and got to the register. And I didn't even look at the price of, the, of these jerseys. So when I got to the register, my balance jumped off. <laughs> it jumped all the way up. And I said, whoa, 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 what the hell is that? He goes, hey, man, each one of these is like $300. So I was like, hmm. So I was like, okay. So I bought them. And I mosey on, we get back, because the bus is going back that day. It's not like you spend a night and check into a hotel. Right. So hop back on, and we, we get back. And in Cleveland, Thursday through Sunday is the biggest club nights. And so I wear these two jerseys to a club, different nights, and I just got this crazy response, Mike. And I'm like, hmm. So that Sunday is our biggest night, and I might have got home at like 5 in the morning. And I bought my first home when I was 19. 20 years old, somewhere, yeah. And I had this little makeshift, makeshift office because I was trying to put myself through college. I was going like two days out the week. And I stayed up all night thinking about this Jersey response I was getting. And I Googled, not, it wasn't even Google yet, I don't think. I, I put it in the AOL, Hardwood Classics. First thing that came on the search was this store in Atlanta called Distant Replays. And when I went on their site, they had, all these different jerseys and that caused me to stay up till nine in the morning and I, I was the first person to call this store and the guy answers and I get to talk to him about jerseys on the site he said well we don't have this one but we have this one blah 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 
And over time, I developed a relationship with this, with this guy. And I would buy jerseys from him every week and I would wear them to the club and I would get the same response. I did this for, for two months straight. And finally, after the two months, his name was Andy Hyman. I asked Andy, I said, Andy, do you think it's possible that I could invest in your business? And he said, if you're serious, fly down to Atlanta and see me. Well, I had one major problem. I had never flown before because we would drive everywhere, you know, for, for sports and things like that. We would always drive. And so a friend of mine said to me, I told him about this conversation I had. He said, you know what? My high school uh, classmates, they all go to Clark and Morehouse. They live in Atlanta. So I'll book the flight. You just pay me the money back and we can stay at my friend's house in Marietta. You go to your meeting, we'll hang out and come on back. So that's what we did. I didn't know he was going to book this flight out of Akron Canyon Airport. I thought he would book it out of Cleveland, you know, Hopkins. You got Delta goes right there. He was trying to save money on the purchase of the ticket. But we have to go 45 minutes to Akron Canton and come back 45 minutes. So time is money. It's, what, it's the way I would think. Luckily, that's not how he was thinking. And so through my travels, one day I'm at the gate and these kids are, I see these tall kids and they're like looking at me. I'm looking at them and I don't know what they want, you know. And, and then one of them asked me, like, hey, man, what kind of jerseys that you have on? And I go into explaining and we get on the plane and we get to baggage claim. Here they come again. And so I gave them my business card and I said, listen, go to this store. If you have any problems, if I'm not there, have them call me. You can use my discount. Sure enough, Andy calls me, but I'm back in Cleveland now when he calls me. And he goes, there's some kids in here. They're shopping. They're dropping your name. I said, what they buying? He said, buying one jersey. I said, which one? Because we always wanted to know what someone was buying. Magic Johnson Lakers. I said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, they can use my discount. By the way, Rich, Rich, you understood then how important data was. Okay. Oh. You, you, you were trying to, you were, you were getting the data. So you were ahead. You were prescient. You were ahead of the curve. You understood that data was going to be predictive for your business. So that's, a, that's an important message to the audience. Trust me. Yeah. And without knowing data back then, I guess so. I guess you're right. And that kid ended up being LeBron James out of nowhere. That's good data. That's good data. Literally out of nowhere. And so that started the relationship. But then, you know, I was always a kid into sports and into fashion and into culture. And I, that's what I was known for in my neighborhood. I was known for being very fashion forward. Like in 1995, I think I got pictures of this, definitely in 96, 97, you know, wearing DKNY, my jeans were a little slimmer than everyone else's. And I remember having like a Versace shirt, you know, Versace, he didn't, they, they, they made, and it was tight at a moment where guys were, and they, but you know, it was me. So people didn't really make fun of me. They wanted to more so know what that was. And that was like my, my thing growing up. It really was. Well, you haven't lost that. You're still a fashionista. I'll tell you. <laughs> You got some style. You got some style going on. No one gets put clothes on here, so I just wear a hoodie every day. Yeah, um, Rich, you know, you you broke a milestone not recently, but some time ago, with you know a nice round number of representation and contracts and and you know clients generating 
you know, in excess of a billion dollars in contract value. Probably, you know, I've seen numbers anywhere from a billion to two billion dollars in, in, in contract value on behalf of some of the boldest face names in sport. Let's be clear. I mean, whether it's LeBron or Anthony Davis or, you know, go down the list, there's there's the, the envy of all. But I, I think the, the part of your story that is so interesting, not many people, and, and I'll tell you again, maybe this is a similarity um, in, in our backgrounds. What put me in the media business was actually rewriting a law, as crazy as that sounds. I represented a client when I was a lawyer, Rich. And that client got into a bankruptcy circumstance, and I was a tax lawyer, but I helped change a law. I went to Washington on behalf of a client back in 1983 and actually wrote a law. But I actually wrote a sentence that is still on the books of the United States Bankruptcy Code because it was around fairness in, in, a, in a particular provision. And a senator from Ohio, uh, Howard Metzenbaum, who was your senator, turned out to be an extraordinarily close friend of mine and changed the course of my career. And I mean that genuinely. Uh, great respect and affection for Howard Metzenbaum. Uh, and that name is it's just crazy that you say that because Metzenbaum, for me growing up, was a place that they took kids that were didn't have parents. It's named after. Yeah. Really? I'm I'm sure I'm sure named after his family. Yeah, so so that's that's a funny separate story. But the senator from Ohio changed my career, and I probably wouldn't be in the media business if it wasn't for Howard Metzenbaum in a funny kind of crazy way. But um, you know, I got to write a law. They wrote a law for you, the the so-called Rich Paul rule. I'd love you to give some 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 background on that, and and you know what led to that, and. You know, and, and it's hats off to you for getting people to pay attention to what probably was a law that needed to be rewritten or a rule that needed to be changed. Yeah, look, I think for many years that there has always been a monopoly uh, in the industry of sports and representation just in general. And you can say it probably in, uh, in representation in the Hollywood space as well. And the biggest thing was uh, they weren't used to the black face, um, especially an unapologetic black face, um, a young, you know, do things my way. Uh, I'm going to add fashion forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, not afraid of conflict, not playing the, the game of, you know, lie to your client while doing lunch with the owner type of face. They, they, they weren't used to that. And the barriers that were placed and the challenges that were placed was from a collective. You know, it wasn't just a CAA that were trying to make it hard for me when I decided to start Clutch. It was everybody involved, all the competitors involved, whether they were, um, you know, uh, giving information to media outlets or trying to drive a wedge amongst clients and things like that through false information. And so when the Rich Paul rule came about, that restriction, number one, it, it made absolutely no sense because, you know, in, in the representation business, the best agents are more, you know, they learn more from a hands-on experience than they can ever learn from having a degree, right? Like, what is a degree going to do for you in this space? And so 
I felt like what they knew was there was less people of color to even have degrees because an education is something that is not the first thing you think about when you're trying to survive in everyday life. And I knew that. My ribs is touching because of hunger. How the hell I'm gonna think about opening this book to understand the obtuse triangle or the uh, a word problem or if I have to write this paper in an MLA format, I can give a shit less about that. When I got my siblings here that that's hungry, you know? And so I, I, I was really disturbed by it. And, you know, they, they make up these rules and they create these narratives and this perception um, based upon how they view you. So we know higher education wasn't something that people of color was gonna be able to obtain in abundance. So therefore, all of a sudden you gotta be, or were you supposed to be a lawyer to be able to be an agent? You had to have a law degree. That's what it was said to be. So now, if you are someone of color and you do have a law degree, then you're accepted because that's gonna be a small, it's still gonna be a small group of people. When I came along, it became a thing where you don't wanna be with somebody that listens to your type of music or that doesn't wear a suit or that goes to the club with you. Those were all things that I actually did. And so when the competition would be in the rooms, they would say, knowing that they'd probably meet with me next or met with me prior, not to do these things. And it became a thing to where, you know, you want to be with us because we're in this space. Well, it's funny how today is every chance they get to hire the young, cool black guy, they do it and they'll pay them double, triple because they think that's all Rich Paul is. And so we just got to duplicate that, which is pretty idiotic to think about that. But that's just where it is now. It used to be we wanted to, you had to have the qualifications. Now you just got to have the cool. My thing is great. So the Rich Paul rule, they bring that, we shine a light on it and it goes away because they knew that was not right. They knew that. That was just something that I, that I felt like they put these stipulations and these restrictions and regulations about what, right? That not in this, because that, this is the one business that we're in that, that actually don't apply. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for anyone just jumping in to be in a representation business because it's a big business. Uh, you are advising young men and women at the highest level. You're doing contracts at the highest level. So the capabilities have to be there, but you don't necessarily have to have capabilities with a degree. Capabilities could just be capabilities, right? Look, you, you know, it, it wasn't you or me. It was Mark McCormick who wrote a great book called What You Don't Learn at Harvard Business School. And you are the personification of that. But, it all, but my journey came through experience. Like people don't understand. My dad, I worked in my dad's store since I was like six years of age right? There you learn customer service. We're in a service business. You learn that, you know, whether it's you learn marketing. I was there when the Frito-Lay man came in and he's introducing the Cool Ranch Dorito. This is, so now he's explaining to you why we want to showcase this blue bag when the red bag has been selling for the long time. You know, Rich, it's so interesting. When I was in um, high school, maybe I was a freshman in college, I knew that I was going to be, I knew I was going to go to law school at that point. 
I also knew that I didn't want to practice law forever. I knew that for me, it was a means to an end. But I knew I wanted to go to law school. And my, I said to my dad, Dad, can you call your lawyer and see if I can get a job working in a law firm? You know, as an in, not, not an, I wasn't ready to be an intern, but, you know, as a gopher, as a, in the mail, whatever, you know, just to be around a law firm. And my dad called his lawyer and said, his, the lawyer's name was Max. I'll never forget. And he said, Max, Michael would like to have a job working in a law firm because he wants to go to law school ultimately. And Max's advice to my dad was not what he should do. Let him go park cars. Let him go learn how to deal with people. He can, he's got plenty of time to be an intern and a law clerk and all of that. Right now, the best thing he could do is go learn how to deal with people. And interestingly enough, the job I took that summer instead of working in a law firm was a camp counselor. And for me, I learned <clears throat> through the lens of kids. You know, I was, I was, as a kid, I was a pretty good baseball player. So sports and baseball and whatnot were really important to me and particularly baseball as a kid. And so I said, you know what, this is a way I can give back. Even as a young person, I gave back to the community. I literally found a team at a little league that didn't have a parent able to manage it. And I became a manager of a little league team. I didn't have a kid. I was in, you know, I was senior in high school or maybe a freshman in college that was the road I took because I said, I took that advice and I said, I'm going to learn more by working with people and, you know, being a salesman in a men's clothing store and being a camp counselor and doing jobs like that. Just so, it's so interesting. And I have that, a master's in dealing with people from top to bottom, from the worst to the, to the, to the most, you know, qualified. You got a PhD, you got more than a master's. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that I tell this all the time because, you know, by us, and when I say us, you know, what I've been able to accomplish, what Maverick's been able to accomplish, obviously, um, you know, LeBron being on the court and, you know, people kind of lump us all together sometimes uh, because that's our start. We started together and, and, and obviously Randy as well, but they look at it and say, okay, well, he did that. We should be able to do it. And I say, well, wait a minute, in order for you to be me in year 20, you got to be willing to be me in year one. You and don't so, you don't start here. You, you you work your way up. And in, in year one, there was nothing for me to do. I never forget the conversation when I asked, well, what am I on a salary to do? And I never made more than forty eight thousand dollars a year. And it was nothing. There's zero for you to do. And so right then and there, I had to make my way. I worked at Nike for four years, understanding whether it was brand strategy, uh, marketing, the athlete, the voice of the athlete, cut and sew, sneaker. You know, I can I can go into any shoe company and work on their side as well as on this side for for the for my client. And so that dual threat, people, people don't understand the experience and the capabilities combined. And I'm not discouraging anyone from I want people to be encouraged and to be motivated motivated to come into this space, but don't come into this space with an entitlement because you're a sibling or because you're a friend. Come into this space with the understanding that I'm not gonna get rich overnight, that's not gonna happen. And I have to know what I don't know. So therefore my biggest value to this person that's allowing me to have an opportunity is to understand and to know what I don't know so therefore, if I can identify what I don't know, 
then I can go and allocate somebody that actually does know. And that's a smart decision by me for my client or for someone that I'm working alongside. Everyone, especially in my space and come from my world, we have this mentality that we want to do it ourselves. And no one does it. Look at all these people on this call. It's not just Rich and Michael on the call because no one does it by themselves. But that was the mentality. And it's a trick, right? It's a trick because what, one thing about doing it by yourself, you know what that does? That makes you devalue infrastructure. That makes you devalue expertise. And that's not a good thing. Yeah, Rich, it's, it's interesting. I, I grew up with a friend who, the way I described him to somebody once was, this was a guy who was always looking for the easy way out. And so was I. But what I learned early was the only way you get to the easy way out is to work really hard. And then you can find the easy way out, but it's not easy to find the easy way out. You got, you got to work no. hard to find it. Yeah. And, and working hard comes in several packages. Going back to the Rich Paul rule, I just think that that was more based upon trying to discourage someone to continue down a path that they, that they aspire to be. And so discouragement, I say this all the time, has definitely killed more people than guns. And we know how many people guns have killed. But discouragement is just as bad. And so I don't sit here today in my seat to discourage anyone. I built a business that actually has an open door pot. I don't care if you have a degree from Michigan or if you have a felony. I really don't give a shit about either one. What I care about is who you are as a person, your ability to come in, be willing to learn and listen and, your, and develop good habits and capabilities and how you fit within our team. Well, and, 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 and that's the great outlook. And I have to add in as a plug for the Wolverines, I'm glad you chose Michigan because I think you know this. All three of my kids went to uh, University of Michigan, so go blue. I'll give you that one, but you know where I stand. I'm a Buckeye. <laughs> I do. I do. So, Rich, you and I made a similar decision a couple of years apart, but we, we made a similar decision to, to you know, partner and, and, and align with United Talent Agency. I know my motivation. I'm curious what yours was and what was what was the attraction? And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, as I say, we both made a similar decision. Both had, you know, fortunately built successful businesses uh, in their own right. And, you know, I'd sold once before, as you know, but bought it back with UTA. You, you know, you made that decision uh, in 2019. What was it that you saw that would enhance the clutch story as part of United Talent Agency and, you know, as well, the opportunity, which I don't mind sharing on this call, on this uh, discussion of us working together, but, but generally, what was, what was the motivation for you and, and UTA? Well, it was a couple of things for me. I, I kind of foresaw where the business was going. And although I was, and we were at Clutch, was considered, you know, the, the cool kid on the block, I never was complacent in that position. And so what I, the athlete is always evolving as the world evolves. And I had a choice to either, I wanted to grow and I wanted to grow from a perspective of infrastructure and expertise. And so it's a couple ways of doing that. One was partnering with someone who already had that in house. The other was going out and raising capital and then finding the people to do so. And when I sat down with Jeremy, we had a conversation and actually Jim Burke is, had a conversation 
with uh, a, a partner, a business associate of mine uh, and Paul and Paul and Jim had a conversation which led to Jeremy and I having a conversation. And when I, and my first sit down, I actually, I, I like Jeremy a lot. Um, not knowing if I was going to go down the road of doing business with him. I just liked the person. And through the conversation, he understood where I was trying to go. We had some great dialogue. And I think, you know, we got the deal done in probably 60 days. And it wasn't more so about finance for me than it was about being able to scale properly and grow my business properly and being able to, if necessary, represent the athlete holistically. Every athlete is not going to need the resources that we now have with this Clutch UTA partnership. But for the one that does, I wanted to be prepared and we wanted to be prepared. And so the having that partnership is has been great. It'll continue to be great. I think we're hitting our stride in a way in which for that client that needs it, one department or two departments or every department, great. And you never know, these things come up. These things come up and every, everybody's different and our younger players are evolving. And eventually they're gonna to wanna to become entrepreneurs and wanna be in executive producing film and television, so on and so forth. And then when you came about, it just even added a more of an expertise to what we do. And this is something that we don't flaunt. Like, you know, we're not out there saying, Woo-hoo, look what we did, look what we got. We're not doing that. If you're inside the ant farm, then you're able to take advantage and be so far ahead of your peers, in my opinion, because of this expertise and this abundance and endless pot of resources that you have. And I think one thing that people don't understand, and especially from an athlete perspective, and this is what's really tricky in my, in my world, athletes have to lead with ego but that ego drives a competitive nature which is great for your sport on the field on the court right in business is not so great and so you have to understand how to balance that and then pull that ego cape off and put on more of a business-minded cape to really value the people within the walls of you know, the, the, the business. I, I've counseled people my whole career that the, the successful people that I know in every walk of life have an ego. And people yeah, go, oh, I have to, this person's got an ego. I go, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of not interested in people who don't have an ego. What yeah. I've always tried to counsel people, you talked about it in terms of an ego cape. I love that. I've always said it. If you don't have an ego, you never get into the room. But once you yeah. get into the room, you got to leave your ego outside because yes. it's your ego that gets you there. But if you yes. let your ego then get in the way of what you accomplish or try to accomplish in the proverbial room, whatever that means, your room may be the court. It may be in front of a camera. It may be behind a camera. It may be noodling on, 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 on representation from an agent perspective. It's any of those things. You don't get successful without an ego. But again, the people who know how to check that ego, once they've gotten to the room, that's the people who win all the time on the court, behind the, you know, think about it just in the, in the, in sport. If, if, if it's all about me, all about my ego, all about my taking that shot, 
that you're never going to be as successful as the person who has a collaborative approach and the ego is put aside in the effort to win. Right. right? Because I mean, you have that in sports, sports. Because you are in control of what's to be, you know, if this was Apple, right, and you were, and you were a coder, well, that's different. But you are in control of the sport because it's me that's on the court and I'm scoring 30 or I'm, I'm on the field, I'm throwing touchdowns or running for touchdowns. And so what that causes you to do is it causes you to buy, you push all your chips in on that ability. And what it causes the people around you to do is say, is say okay, all we need is actually this person because they're doing the actual act, right? They're, they're scoring the touchdown or they're, they're, they're making the basket, but they're forgetting one thing. Once you come off that field, there's a different business practice that's an expertise that you have to have within. And that takes a different thought process. And just because you're able to get that person on the phone every day or tell this person where to be, don't mean you have the capabilities to actually do the job necessary going forward to build the business. And that's where in my world, people run into a very, very big problem. So, so, so Rich, I want to, I want to kind of, you know, wrap on, on one topic here. Um, I know recently in partnership with BET, you, you, you produced, uh, you know, an original documentary. uh, I think it was called the clutch Academy um, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about the Clutch Academy and, and, and the purpose of that, because, look, we're, we're, in, we're in a world right now where just about every conversation that we both have involve content. And we talk about content and commerce. We talk about content and culture. We talk about content and community. You got into the content business and you obviously in, in sports representation, you're in the content business because the talent that we represent, that you represent, they're creating content. Content may be on the court. It may be behind a camera, all the same. But what, what was the motivation on the Clutch Academy and, and as it achieved what you wanted through the utilization of content? I just, I just wanted to allow a, like a sneak peek into what we actually do. You know, you get into a lot of these rooms and, you know, again, the competition, they just tell lies, you know. And so content is king. You know, content is the new marketing. Uh, I tell families that all the time, like, you know, you know, brands, they think different today than they thought 20 years ago, 10 years ago, for that matter. And so I, think, I would submit it's 10 weeks ago. It's changing on a, on, yeah, a, on a pretty dynamic basis. I wanted to do a number of things, right? It was pretty layered, my decision behind it. Number one, give the kids a platform to allow people to understand who they are, not just as ball players, but as people. I think nowadays, you know, you, you want to get into having an understanding of who that person is, why they do what they do, why they think the way they think, what's important to them, and so on and so forth. So that was me and us as a company providing them a platform, number one. Number two, Give a little insight on who we are as a company, how we think, how we differentiate from the so-called competitors out there and what's important to us. And I think people were able, if you actually watched it, you were able to see that, you know what, this group really cares. This is not just TV. This is 
this is real. This is genuine. This is authentic. You saw on there that I don't hold no punches. I hold myself accountable. I hold my team accountable. And we hold the, 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 the client accountable because you can't walk on eggshells in this business, you, you know, which most agents does. Most agents say, you know, the client wants you to run and jump over a barbed wire fence. Okay, how fast do you want me to do it? It's just, to, you know, like that you see in the movies, that's not who I am. That's not what we represent. Um, and so I wanted to kind of showcase that. And I also wanted to allow the younger people, male, female, whatever, who, no matter what color you are, who aspire to be in this space, to have a little bit of understanding and direction on what it actually is really about. And I've gotten phone calls from young men that are now agents that are competing, you know, or not competing, but recruiting against us in the, in the marketplace or whatnot. And you know what? And they said, man, we really appreciate it. You helped us so much. And that's really what it's about. You know, we can't represent every player. That's not going to happen. You only represent those that allow you to represent them, which is great. But we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. I didn't, I wanted it to be tasteful. I didn't want it to be a reality type drama type of thing because that's not what I'm about. And so it was a lot of hard work. It was a roller coaster of emotions, uh, but it was fun to do. Um, and, I, and the families, I was glad to do it for the families. I enjoy it. And, you know, we're, we're launching uh, Clutch Originals, which we are going into the content space. We're going to produce our own content, original content, um, as well as align with, you know, some, some different um, writers and things like that and, and buy projects and so on and so forth. And so what I'm looking at and what I wanted to create holistically was a branded house, you know, not a house of brands. And so I think we have the ability to do so. Uh, we, we got a great team. Um, and so we're still a very young company. It, it's only, it's only, we've only been here for 10 years, which is very young. And uh, we'll continue to, to challenge ourselves to get better and do better and continue to surround ourselves with people such as yourself, Michael, who are OGs in the game, so to speak, and have, have been around for a long time and kind of understand the do's and don'ts and lean on you when, when we have to and when we need to, to, to better our education in the space. Because we don't know everything. You know, I tell people all the time, like, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything. But guess what I do know? I know I can pick up somebody who's willing to answer my phone call that does know what I don't know. And that's the power right there. Well, that's it. And, and, and Rich, you know, the idea of using Clutch Academy as a, as, a, as a way for people to get insight into what you've done and how you do it and how Clutch operates and your motivation. I want to thank you profusely um, for giving this audience that same opportunity to understand not only where you came from, but where you are and where you're going. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content.